welcome to the Top Order podcast. From preview to review this week, we're going to talk all things New Zealand cricket. We're going to talk about the domestic summer, the White Ferns and the Black Caps. You'll notice as mentioned a number of players in this pod. A lot of them have been on the podcast as well. So also kudos to the Top Order for bringing you the best guests from around the cricketing world. We're going to talk about Finn Allen. We'll talk the O'Donnell brothers, Frankie Mackay and a whole host more coming up on this review show. Stay tuned. So I've already done a link for this part of the podcast, but it's been uh, yeah, it's been put in the can before it's even come to air because Lippy wants to start with Canterbury um, and then we'll get to the rest of New Zealand. So Lippy, off, over to you <laughs> no for the red, and, there, the, the, the red and Black Summer. Oh, it has absolutely been a Red and Black Summer and we have to start here. Binksy, you're giving me stick here, but they've won four out of the five domestic trophies They've won. What went w- wrong? Well, Wellington, <laughs> Devin Conway. Devin Conway went wrong uh, is what happened in, in the Super Smash final. Uh, it's the only reason Canterbury didn't get a clean sweep. And it's actually the first time ever that any province has won four out of the five domestic trophies. We talked to Frankie Mackay at the start of the year and we were kind of saying, you know, Wellington had such a dominant season. Can anyone beat them? Frankie said, yep, we can. And it's come true. Canterbury's beaten them in uh, in both of those two competitions in the Super Smash and the Halliburton Johnston and the men have done you know, equally as well winning two out of the, the trophies the, the Plunkett Shield there's still one more day to go but they've gone unbeaten in that competition and I think we were just talking before they've pretty much lapped everyone else in the field the, the other team in second which there's a bit of a fight there for second at the moment but everyone else is kind of half double. Canterbury's got double the points of everyone else, which is just staggering. And they could go undefeated, it, you know, tomorrow's result notwithstanding, or, or tomorrow's result pending, I should say. Yeah, it's looking likely, and, and you know they've just been so impressive, and um, you know I think we have to shout out there because they've just been so strong. Any any key performers in that uh, Canterbury side? I'm sure you've got a lot on that. We're, we're just going to get a cup of tea, shall yeah, we? On, on that page. Well, yeah, there are a few. Um, I mean, I think the, probably the one that that doesn't. St- you know, leap. It doesn't leap off the page when you actually see them bowl, but when you look at the stats, is Will Williams, because you know you, you're running. He's he's a, a medium pacer, I would say. Uh, he bowls in the Super Smash. He bowls at the death. He's in in the limited overs, often bowling kind of doesn't bowl for for you know half the game, and then just comes in and bowls at the death. But his stats this year: so 31 wickets at under 16 in the Plunkett Shield, and 20 wickets at 18 in the Ford Trophy. He's top of the charts in, in both those comps. It, it's an it's incredible effort, and you know it's it's sort of begs the question. Really, you know, someone like that who potentially you look at and go, okay, well, they don't look like someone who is necessarily suited to play at the higher level. But when they play, put stats like this together, you know, I think you you have to start looking at someone like that to be playing New Zealand A games and, and getting opportunities at that level and, and see what comes of it. Uh, there was a, a cracking story about him uh, th- about a couple of months ago. Uh, he's a, a pilot by by day, and um, you know, you sort of get these stories of domestic players that yeah, they have other jobs that are doing other things. So yeah, shout out to him. He's been one of the real stars. Is there a place in international cricket for a specialist death bowler anymore? Because I, I think that's the that's the role that he would have to fill, right? I, I think mean, in the limited overs stuff, he'd probably would. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? Because we see, I certainly think that there's a place for someone who can do it well. It's just that the whether there is a spot for, particularly in you know New Zealand side at the moment, we've got such good depth. But even around the world, it, there's there's players that come in and you're taking a spot of someone else who's it almost seems like everyone goes for runs at the death at the moment mm. you know you the key is kind of taking those wickets up front and then everyone just gets hit at the end it's sort of limiting the damage is the the key thing look i've not seen enough of of him bowl but yeah nibbles it around a, a little bit i think there's you know in the english county championship there's a number of players who put those kind of stats up um, pretty regularly you've got the likes of darren stevens who's 42 years old still running in nibbling it around but only bowling at, you know, 73, 74 mile an hour, a keeper often up to the stumps. Um, never going to get a look in for England um, because, you know, better wickets, um, Cookerborough cricket balls when you play on tour, you're just going to get pasted everywhere. So, um, look, I, I guess it, it really depends whether or not the step up onto better wickets, um, you know, a better batsman, obviously, um, whether or not, it, you know, it'd be as effective. But, man, you can't grumble at those stats, can you? It's been a, a super impressive season. I mean, I, um, we're, you know, hoping to chat to, to 
Canterbury coach Peter Fulton next week. So it's probably a good, uh, it'll be a great question to ask him. I'd be very interested in his thoughts on, you know, whether some of those guys are, are suited to the, to the step up. Um, you know, you, you were talking about Peter Fulton, one of the players he suggested to watch. Uh, I think there was an article uh, over lockdown and uh, Crick Info got him on and, and talked about players to watch. One of them was named, uh, one of them he named was Finn Allen. I think he's done pretty well in that shout. I mean, what, what have we made of him this year? He's been so, so impressive, particularly obviously in the Super Smash and, and now getting his opportunity for New Zealand. So I have to confess, I didn't see a lot of him in the, in the Super Smash. Uh, I, I watched the highlights, but it doesn't, didn't really do him justice. When I watched him playing against Bangladesh... I was really uh, surprised by his power. It reminded me, watching obviously not his debut, uh, the second and third <laughs> games that he played, uh, it reminded me of, of a young David Warner when he debuted against South Africa and he was just pulling Dale Stane off the front foot uh, straight down the ground. Like I, that, That's the sort of power that, that, that I saw and was really impressed by. And I think it's interesting... RCB, I don't know if they they signed him based on seeing him, doing their research, all that stuff, or whether they got a tip from their insiders and their New Zealand stuff, but I think that he could be a really good pickup, and especially with the COVID and all that's going around, he could he could really excel in that game. So I watched I watched Finale on Thursday night, just gone in that New Zealand Bangladesh game, the rain shortened game at Eden Park. As soon as we knew that it was shortened to a ten over game. The press box had a little bit of a buzz about it because everyone was going, well, hang on. If Finnellan gets going here, New Zealand could be on for 150 off 10. <laughs> and as it was, New Zealand was 144 off 10 or, or whatever it was in the end. And at one point there, halfway through that game, he was on for 100. He yeah. really, really was inside 10 overs. He accessed all parts of the ground. Whenever he wanted to, he found a gap. It didn't matter where it was in the field, where Bangladesh placed their fielders. And yeah, okay, some of them you know, didn't look like they were going to catch him when the ball went in the air and he was dropped three times. But he was he he just had complete command on that international stage. And for a young fella to be able to come in in his second or third game and have complete command of, of that experience, even batting with a guy as explosive as Martin Guptill at the other end, um, I think it bodes really, really well for his career. Yeah, for, for me, and Baldy, you and I saw a game at Eden Park, yeah, out yeah. at Oval, where he got 100, um, I think, um, certainly scored. Did he get 100? No, he didn't, but it felt like he did. He, he got 60 or 70 in quick time for Wellington yeah. at the top of the order and Conway got 92. But the, the thing that impressed me most about that knock at the outer oval, and, and granted that's a super smash game, it's not a, an international fixture, was the quality of the cricket shots that he played. He looked in complete control. Yes, he went to some of those, you know, the newer shots, the ramps and, and that kind of stuff, which apparently is not innovation anymore. It's just in the coaching book. <laughs> um, but look, look, I think um, it was for me how crisply he hit the ball, how when he goes down the ground, he just plays what looks like a check drive and then, it, you know, disappears into the car park. Yeah, there were a couple of those on Thursday as well. And, and then, yeah, to translate that into an international game, yes, short ground, Yes, wet ball. Yes, some poor fielding, but took his you know took his chance and and, yep. and really played some very very strong um, cricket shots. And yeah, look, I hope he gets a run in the IPL. And you know, you, you never you, know. You never know. You never know. He couldn't end up keeping for that side. You never know. Well, I think what's exciting about that is that for New from a New Zealand perspective is that players that are performing well at domestic level can then make that step up because for many many years in New Zealand cricket, you had a lot of players who would perform at that domestic level they'd get their opportunity for New Zealand and they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to for whatever reason just make that step up and and start getting runs even at that level taking wickets at that level but you know now it seems like you know we talk about someone like Daryl Mitchell who I'm sure we'll cover when we talk about the Black Caps same thing he's just been plundering attacks this summer uh, for Canterbury Uh, just got to throw in a few more Canterbury players um, but you know he makes that step up and immediately just Mm. takes the opportunity and um, you know I yeah, just speaking of step up, should we move on and we talk about another Cantabrian and then we promise we'll move on to other districts and other other provinces. Um, average 84 in the Plunkett Shields, 78 in the Ford Trophy has not been mentioned in dispatches in terms of a, a New Zealand berth. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Cam Fletcher? Yeah, look, I, I have to admit that when I was looking at uh, Cam's stats, I didn't expect them to be this good. I know he's had a good season. And I knew he's scored, uh, certainly scored a big hundred just recently. But I just I hadn't anticipated uh, them being quite so good. So I mean, you've just outlined them there, and I think 
uh, if we're thinking about you know the New Zealand keeping spot, Blundell's obviously the 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 successor, and he's been that way for a number of years for Watling. Obviously, he's played in the the test matches as the opener, not keeping. But I think you know most people in New Zealand would expect that as soon as BJ Watling gives up, Tom Blundell will get an extended opportunity with the gloves. But Cam Fletcher is putting his name up to be the next person in line because a year ago Dane Cleaver probably had that that little mantle that thing on his mantle. Mm. Now Cam Fletcher has taken that. He's He's gone and played a few New Zealand A games and just done really, really well. I was going to say, in the New Zealand A setup, he's scored 100? I think he scored 100, yeah. Yep. I think and he scored 100, maybe even against the West Indies A, maybe, perhaps. I'm not sure. And he scored runs, as you said, all throughout the Plunkett Shield and, and that uh, innings he had in the Super Smash semi yep. as well. So he's putting these innings back to back to back. And in all forms, you know, yeah, like you said, Plunkett I mean, Shield, you know, trophies, we're a little bit, Super Smash. We're probably a little bit biased here because a number of us have, have played with him. But I, I definitely think that he. That keeping spot, especially in the New Zealand Test side, is actually one that is up for grabs. Whoever wants to take it with the bat, mm. because that that's what's going to happen. BJ Watling is going to be a massive loss when he does retire. Mm. So scoring runs is going to be crucial. Absolutely. And I think it, just just to run quickly through a few other names that are that have been uh, strong in the in the men's competition this year, we've had Joe Carter from ND. Uh, is another one, a batsman who's been around the the, in, the New Zealand A set up for a while. So it's sort of someone in the, I guess, in the Will Young mould that's been making runs for a couple of years now and, and kind of knocking on that door to, to get an opportunity whenever these batting stocks for New Zealand sort of have those openings. Uh, we've also seen a, a notable uh, couple of performances with hat-tricks from Michael Ray and, and Kyle Jamison. And very, very recently, or, although not, so much for, for Will O'Donnell because he sort of really, really was uh, excellent in the Ford Trophy, but Rob O'Donnell finishing with a real flourish for Auckland uh, with scores of 128, 93, 107, 142 in his last innings after probably a, a pretty slow start to his season. So mm. those, those O'Donnell boys putting their names up in lights as well. So if we talk women's game, we can start in Canterbury again. Lippy, you, you'll want to talk about Frankie Mackay. Most wickets in the Super Smash, um, amongst other laudable statistics. Yeah, look, so uh, as we've said, it's, it's been a, a red and black summer and, and Frankie Mackay has really led the charge there. I mean, you mentioned most wickets in the Super Smash, 20 wickets at 9.55 and an economy rate of 4.8. It's just staggering when you, you think about that. And then... You know that's her bowling, but then we go to the the Halliburton Johnston Shield, and she averaged almost fifty seven with the bat and third on the wickets charts as well. So she's just had an amazing summer. We talked to her at the start of the season, and she was almost talking to us like she didn't think she was going to get another go for New Zealand, like she was done and mm. and had and had run her race on the international stage, but put in such staggering performances that it's given her that opportunity and put in a, a match-winning performance. Yeah, she was a match-winner for New Zealand. Incredible in, in the In the T20 that they won against uh, Australia. So, yeah, just a, a massive shout-out to her. She's been, uh, you know, super strong for, for the whole season. And, and cracking in the media as well. Like, she really does add to that coverage as well. Mm. A lot of insight in the commentary box. And, yep. and yeah, it seems really at home. Yeah, I think she's going to be, yeah, one to, one to stay in the media for sure. She'll be, uh, you know, she should be headlining that spark. Start so. coverage yep. for for a while, Absolutely. I think once once she decides to to hang up the boots. But a couple of names, I guess, uh, from the women's side as well that have really put themselves up uh, in in lights a little bit with their domestic form of, has been Brooke Halliday and Lauren Down. Brooke Halliday, we've mentioned a couple of times about how she's come into she had a really strong season, particularly in the Super Smash for for ND and and given an opportunity for New Zealand and just looked really comfortable at that mm. level, uh, making that step up, scored a couple of fifties. And Lauren Down, we you know we saw her. We were fortunate enough to, to commentate on her in, in a uh, in a club in, in final. Auckland club final, mm. uh, and uh, you know she just was in great form in the Halliburton Johnston Shield, powered Auckland to the final, which is which was a bit of a surprise probably, and that um, Wellington was was still probably expected to make that final against Canterbury, but Lauren Down, excellent performances there, and then just scored ninety odd in the on debut. No, not on debut. She's played a number of games for New Zealand in the past, but has always been someone who's been on the fringes and has been, you know, with Sophie Devine leaving, got an opportunity in the one day as scored a 90. It was her first 50 uh, in, ah, right. in ODI cricket. 
Um, but yeah, looked looked really comfortable. I think she'd probably be really disappointed with the way she went out. Just chipped one back to the bowler and, and mm. had a hundred on the cards because there was still plenty of time to go. And you know, it, a really sort of composed innings because uh, she'd gone I think twenty eight balls or something without scoring, and then got m- moved her way to ninety before the mm. before the fortieth over. So yeah, shout out to them. I think uh, we're recording this. I think there's two games to go in the summer for the the women, the White Ferns. Summary summary comments on how they've they've performed this year and their in their series they've played. Yeah, so the White Ferns, it's really tricky, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys think because obviously, as a New Zealand fan, you you look at their record, and yeah, as you said, there's still two games to go for the White Ferns. Uh, you know, we've we've got a, a lot of episodes in the in the can, and we just wanted to get another one out here of, of wrap up this New Zealand summer. Their their record. Uh, across the whole summer, they've played England and Australia pretty much the whole time. And across ODIs and T20, they've won three games, lost 12. There's still two games to go. So, you know, the best they can do is is 5-12. and 12. But, you you know, Baldy's mentioned uh, earlier in the week uh, around that Australian side and how strong they are. But, but how do we evaluate them given that Australia and England are just so strong? Well, I think you've got, you know, and Baldy talked about it in uh, This Week in Cricket episode that will be in your feeds um, either now or, or shortly after this podcast. It's Australia. Then there's daylights. Then probably England. And then you've got this chasing pack, haven't you, with India, um, New Zealand, South, South Africa. Africa. South Africa yeah. um, and, then, and then possibly the West Indies. And the West on Indies day. as well. Yep. So I, I think you've got to put it into that context that the Australian women's team is just, you know, the, the best team going around at the moment in, in world cricket. I was really lucky to be able to talk to Amy Satterthwaite on Thursday night after that Australia-New Zealand uh, game in Eden Park was washed out. And her comments in the press conference after the game were, we really felt like we took a lot away from that victory against Australia and having Australia under pressure in that first game of the series. Even though they lost, they had Australia 3 for 14. Mm. And the fact that they had Australia under pressure and then won a game subsequently to that where it could have gone either way, Amy felt like, as a New Zealand unit, they felt like they took a lot of belief mentally out of that game, that, that, that they had closed the gap to Australia a little bit and given that they got themselves into a contest, they had enough belief that they could beat Australia and they could do it again going forward. So while the results don't really speak to a successful summer in terms of games won, I think in the last couple of games, and let's see what happens in the last two games of this ODI series, that New Zealand women have just started to bridge that gap to Australia a little bit in terms of their mental belief. Sure, Australia are a deeper side. Sure, Australia have got match winners all over the park. But what's impressed me a little bit from a New Zealand point of view is they found people like Frankie Mackay and Lauren Down to come in and provide match-winning performances or performances that give New Zealand a chance to win big matches, even if Sophie Devine and Susie Bates don't make all the runs and Leah Tahu, who doesn't take all the wickets, you know what I mean? So there's a lot to like from that point of view from a New Zealand side going forward. Um, and they've introduced a number of players into their side over the last 12 months that have got a big future in terms of their, their, their job in the, in the White Ferns side. Yeah, it's it, it, that's really encouraging to hear because I think if we look back to when they went to Australia, that that tour was they were getting beaten really, really comfortably in, in those games, and mm. I don't think you're taking a lot away from that. I agree with you that I think they've looked much better against New, uh, Australia in this in New Zealand in yep. New Zealand in this in this recent uh, run of matches, notwithstanding these two games that that anything could happen. But, yeah, I think some of those England games as well, there's certainly a lot to work on. Raji, you were going to jump in? Yeah, so I guess I've got two points to make on it. The first one, and I guess it's never really been an excuse, uh, but I think that it, 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 it should be mentioned that there is it, the, le- the playing field is not necessarily level when, it talk, when we talk about Australia and England mm. and our girls and really the rest of the world. We've mm. got professionals versus semi-professionals. Uh, that's just the way of the world and that... Uh, that issue is not going to be solved during this podcast. Uh, and I think it's great to see them that they're competing, firstly, and they have won games against those teams. Secondly, I like the fact that they have not been resistant to change. You see all these people, uh, Brooke Halliday, Lauren Down, Frankie even, who thought that she wasn't going to be in the squad uh, this, this season. They've made those changes after losing games. They've brought people in mm. and who have affected change and who have 
played well when they've gone up to that next level. So I like the fact that they're not resistant to change and they have tried to evolve. So I think that I'm really proud of how the White Ferns have played. I, I guess the thing for me, and um, it's that depth, isn't it, um, of your domestic competition. I, I think um, in England, you know, they've got the key at Super League. Um, they've also um, got a women's 100 competition coming up next year. You've obviously got the women's Big Bash League in Australia. Um, I think that, you know, the exposure to those franchise tournaments, I think, has got to be one of the things. And I know some of those white fans are going, but it's the next the next little group and look encouraging to see the likes of Jessica, um, Halliday, Lauren Dame coming through that, you know, that, that are relatively young that, you know, yep. they've still got a lot of cricket to play. Um, but it is that layer below. There needs to be that momentum. And um, to Roger's point, we're not going to solve it now, but you know, uh, until that is leveled up, um, you know, then I think there still is going to be that gulf between that strength. And yeah. Depth. I think women's cricket in New Zealand has come a long way in the last two or three years. The, Women's and men's big bash, um, or sorry, should I say super smash tournaments back to back has I think has been really good. Um, you know, women's playing before men, and then sometimes the men's game is played, and then the women's game is played after. I think is really good for I the think, evolution think, of the game in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, what what that does is that means that people like us can actually you know have an opinion on women's cricket, and and we can actually watch the game, and and you know. How many women's games would you have been able to? Would you have watched if if they were down at uh, at Eden Park? You know, we're we're all got families here. We don't get to watch as much, uh, if if any games really throughout the summer live. So the fact that that's on now, mm. it, it gives people those opportunities. I think is wonderful. Yeah. One of the things that's been happening lately is that the media coverage on the men's and women's game is deliberately equal in terms of the, the coverage that the men's and women's cricket get. So media outlets are, are particular and deliberate about making sure that women's cricket and men's cricket is covered equally and is covered well, uh, which I think is a great thing for the evolution of the game in New Zealand. And I think the, the, the razor or the level that we want women's cricket to get to is that Super Smash tournament being able to stand alone by itself as a standalone tournament. If we can get that to that level, I think women's cricket will have achieved success in, in the New Zealand context. Before we wrap up this little segment, we've got to talk a little bit, um, Sophie Devine, but Raj, you want to chip in first? Just to that point on the, the media, I guess for me, I've watched probably the most women's cricket this season that I've, that I've ever watched. Uh, and I think that that's because of the platform that it's being presented on. Mm -hmm. Because it's on Spark Sport, I can go back and watch a full game highlight anytime I want to. If I'm uh, in my office cutting this podcast, I can have it running, you know, in the background just on the, on the big screen so mm. I can have that that playing in the background and I can watch every ball. I think that that's something that uh, has really benefited women's cricket, uh, especially at the domestic level and at the international level. You've got all those people out there who are complaining about New Zealand cricket from a men's perspective not being as accessible the last couple of seasons. I think it's made the women's game far more accessible mm. to the to the fans like like me who in the past have probably been more casual been able to watch a lot of their cricket this, and become more active yeah, in that this yeah. season well, well and, and i think just to add that the other point to that is that there hasn't been as much sport on in these covid times so yes you know the nfl's got games on uh, but you know there's been nba games on premier league's managed to play you've had some grand prix formula one but y you haven't seen the amount, particularly cricket, of international cricket, normally um, it's wall to wall. And yes, we've you know we've had some really really stellar series, but not the same levels where you've got almost an international men's game going on on three different Sky Sport channels or Spark channels. Mm. You, you've really only had that you know one uh, one series going on at a time. And just to wrap up the white ferns, I think before we move on to the men's stuff, we haven't really mentioned Amelia Kerr in terms of our wrap-up of, of, of women's cricket in New Zealand. She is the brightest light in the night sky in terms of the future of, of women's cricket for New Zealand. We now think of her, we expect her to win matches for New Zealand with the bat and the ball at 20 years of age. Batting at number four, bowling, she is an incredible talent and she is going to have a really, really bright future of New Zealand. And, you know, we've got a World Cup coming up in 12 months on, on home soil. She could be one of the highlight players of that tournament. And I, I can't wait for the next 12 months of, of preparation and excitement building for that tournament because New Zealand are in with a real shout with her and that side and with Divine and, and all the other classy players that they've got, Amy Satterthwaite, Susie Bates. You know, there, there's lots to like about that side, but they've got a lot of work to do in the next 12 months. Two things. Firstly, I love that you said we 
for the White Ferns, <laughs> even though you went on a, a, a massive rant on, on one of our earlier podcasts about how good the Australian uh, women's team is. And uh, you obviously got tweet uh, speaking with a, an Australian twang. Um, but you mentioned Sophie Devine. I mean, I think we have to, to touch on her summer, particularly in the, the White Ferns jumper, because it's been it's been a difficult one. Um, she started the summer in the in the Big Bash and, you know, excellent or uh, following the Australian tour, played in the Big Bash, went really well, just as she did the year before, came back, super smash, all of that stuff here, scored an amazing 100, straight out of quarantine for, for Wellington, scored lots of runs in the Halliburton Johnston Shield every time she walked out to bat. But for New Zealand, it just hasn't happened. There's been calls for her to step down as captain. There's, you know, she's now missing uh, this this series at the moment with uh, fatigue, which obviously we, you know, it hasn't actually been stated whether it's mental or um, physical, but you would think that it's mental, uh, given that that the way, uh, you know, mental health and stuff is being covered at the moment, and that she's not feeling up and doesn't feel that she can give her her best effort on the field, which is problematic because she's one of our best players, if not. Uh, our best player and our best chance to be winning these games against these excellent sides. I mean, what do we think of this? Is is this a case of the captaincy, you know, burden? I guess let's me, let me rephrase that. If the captaincy does get taken off her, how do we think that's received? Because now the way that it's all gone down, it feels like if it is taken off to me that that people are going to feel like that's a real negative when it could be just unburdening someone from a, a job. So look, I think it's the way in which you do it. Um, you know, she's still going to be a leader around that group um, when she gets back um, in into the game, whether the C is next to the name or not. And look, I think the, the most important thing here is the welfare of the player. Mm. Um, and there isn't a single walk of life where, particularly in a leadership role, you have not been tested through the course of the last 18 months or so. And um, it's, you know, it's put immense stress on a number of people um, around the world in all different walks of life. Cricket is going to be no different um, to that. So look, I think the most important thing is that um, that that decision um, has been taken absolutely for the for the right reasons, and, and obviously you want to see the best players playing. And, and if that means that you you know you take away some of that um, administrative burden from them, um, you know that that you know that might be what needs to you know happen. But I would have thought in this day and age that's going to be in conjunction with the player as well. You know they, they're going to be taking um, a, a lot of their guidance from uh, from the way she talks about it. The feeling that I get is that if if it if it works best for New Zealand cricket and it works best for Sophie that she's not the captain, I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I, I I think the most important thing for New Zealand cricket and the way that they 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 have that long term outlook is to look after the welfare of, of of their players and that is absolutely at the top of all of their balanced scorecard approaches to everything that they do, which is to be commended. If it works out for Sophie that that she is at her best when she's not captaining the side. I don't think that's going to be an issue moving forward, and I don't think it's going to be an issue for the team. Um, like you said, Adam, she's she's a natural leader. Whether or not she wears the captain's armband and does the press conferences and all the other stuff that goes along with being a captain, she'll be influential on that side, and let's hope she gets back to her best. Can she start wearing um, polarised sunnies when she bats? <laughs> well, that, that might be the answer. That might be the answer. I, I think when it, when it comes to leadership, I guess I'm going to be pretty blunt on this. I think... For me, it comes down to how she's performing on the field, firstly, because that's where the, the leadership's coming from, is her, her, her putting runs on the board. Uh, I, I, th- I don't have a huge problem with the optics of it. it it's, it's a bit of a hurt pride thing. I can see that, that, that coming through. But I think as long as she's performing on the field, just because you have that C next to, mine, next to her name doesn't mean that she's not going to be a leader on the field, a leader in the group. She might not go to the press conferences and do the, the media stuff every week, but she'll still be a leader within that group either way. Yeah, I mean, we saw it even this week in the, in the men's game. Um, Jason Holder standing at second slip, um, giving plenty of chirp and, and seemed to be completely present within that West Indies um, team. And that was well documented that, um, you know, um, Raj thought he should have gone. Um, and, the th- the, and, the, and the three of us... Uh, <laughs> it was baldy. 
Oh, Baldy thought he should have gone. Um, but look, <laughs> Dory, I'll cut that. Out. <laughs> yeah, don't cut that out. Look, I it think, wasn't me. I, I think to finish on that, it, it's it, we just want Sophie Devine it, from a New Zealand perspective. We want her to be uh, performing at her absolute best for New Zealand, and we need it. Like if we're going to win this World Cup. If we're going to have a shot at this World Cup, me and Baldy and, and all your other New Zealand fans out there, if, if we're going to win it, then we, we need Sophie Devine performing and, and wish her absolutely the best to be firing uh, at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, boys, we'll be back after the break and we're going to talk black caps and what a summer of cricket um, it has been. We'll be back very, very shortly. We're back. And 30 minutes we've spent talking about the domestic game and the White Ferns. We're going to spend about 15, 20 minutes on Devon Conway. We'll probably spend 15, <laughs> 20 minutes on Carl Jameson. We've already talked a little bit of Finn Allen, but I, I guess I'll start. And look, I hate to go to you again, Lippy, to have a crow after the, you know, the Cantabrian rant that, you know, Baldy, Raj and I managed to go off and have a three-course meal down the pub and you were still talking uh, when we came back. But what a series and what a, what you know what a summer for for the black caps winning every um every series on offer this summer yeah absolutely so you just mentioned that we had seven series com- uh, with a combined record of 17 wins and three losses across the tests odis and t20s we played the west indies pakistan australia and bangladesh obviously on that front it's a massive massive positive we've We've never really, once I guess in the Australian T20 series, we lost back-to-back games and, and looked in a little bit of doubt that we might lose a series that, or that we might be losing control even of of our cricket because the rest of the summer we've just been in, in almost cruise control and anytime anything's gone wrong, someone else has stepped up and, and it's been different people all summer. You know, I've, I've been hearing that in, in chats. I think we've talked about it ourselves, but even in, in chats right across the New Zealand media, every time the Black Caps is mentioned, it's always that someone different is standing up, even though we could spend 15 minutes talking about how awesome Devin Conway is. I guess I did want to start the chat really by by saying, are we? is there any sense or any feeling in this room that we're being kind of fooled by the opposition that we've actually had to face. Because if we look at that side, we faced West Indies side, who was definitely rebuilding. We faced a Pakistan side who generally doesn't perform that well when they come to New Zealand. We faced a second-string a second string Australian side because the tests were supposed to be in South Africa at the same time. And we faced Bangladesh, who you know, are, are lower, lower down in the rankings. Raj, I mean, what do we make of this? Can we, can we actually be as excited as we might want to be about New Zealand cricket? Yeah, I think that there is an element of, of that feeling there. But then when I think about it and I go West Indies and, and Pakistan, they troubled England and England in the first test of those series. Mm. So, And I feel like we had those series under control almost the whole way through. My biggest takeaway is how we batted, especially in test cricket is what I'm talking about here, mm. how we batted in conditions that were very conducive to bowling. And when we left Australia... Into that end of 2019, our batting was in a fragile state or fragile state of mind. Um, I think that we have shown that we can bat on any surface against good bowling attacks because Pakistan and West Indies do have good bowling attacks. And they brought them with them. And they brought them with them. I think that, you know, you look at the second string Australian side, maybe that's a bit rude saying that, but I think it's a bit of reality. And uh, the Bangladeshi team that was is quite young and without their, their talisman and Shakib Al Hassan. I do think those guys were, were probably on the weaker side and do flatter us a little bit, but I think there's a lot of heart to be taken out of all of these series this summer. Yeah, look, this um, opening gambit just reminds me of a conversation we had last year when we were talking about that Australia series. And um, I think, you know, you were feeling pretty down about that. There was a build-up of, you know, not having had that tour for 30-odd years. Um, genuinely going over and thinking you were a shot to take a test match off Australia and, and you know let's be honest getting your asses handed to you but then I think you've just got to actually look at the combined stat there you can only beat the teams that are in front of you you have handed England's asses to them in your in your own um, backyard this time last year have had a stellar summer have uncovered some new talent you know we, we've talked about Conway we'll talk about Jameson um, you know, we'll talk about some of the guys that have come in and done pretty well in the limited over stuff um, as well. I'm thinking of, you know, Jacob Duffy as an example. Lockie's kind of back as well to an extent. 
you've got an embarrassment of of Richards across a number of areas. The fact that we're talking about whether or not Ross Taylor's you know career could be coming to um, an end, the fact that we're talking about Jameson, who's had such an amazing Test summer, getting pumped in a couple of white ball games, and you know is he the bowler that we, you know we thought he was? <laughs> we, we, there's so much good stuff coming out that I think that this kind of tall poppy syndrome of you know trying to think of a way. Um, to do New Zealand down that doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be done. You're, you're a cracking side with a brilliant coach, an amazing captain, um, and some pretty handy fast bowling stocks. Um, so you know, I, look, I think it, it has been a tremendous, tremendous summer for the Black Caps. Well, yeah, my heart is, is swelling now as a as a Black Caps fan. We, we'll, we'll continue on that. You mentioned the captain. It, it almost feels like because he hasn't played, um, you know, played much of a part in the last couple of months, but you know, resting injuries. It it's all, I've almost forgotten how amazing that he was at the start of that summer. I mean, he scored when I looked. I I put through, you know, used the stats guru on Crick Info, and I looked at New Zealand stats across the whole summer. Kane Williamson is still our leading scorer out of and he only played half the games that we played. He scored 779 runs from 11 innings across all three formats. He scored 300s and 250s. Uh, I mean from 11 innings. It was yeah, so 45% of the time he walked out to bat he got 50 for New Zealand or better and he got a double 100. Yeah. Incredible it, summer. He's he's just amazing and and you know, when you think about the fact that we could have him we've got Ross Taylor in the mix those two are, you know, two of our greatest batsmen ever. I think recently Gary Stead has has put Devin Conway kind of in that conversation. He said saying, it on Thursday night. Yes. He said it on Thursday night after the game. Devin Conway, he said, Kane Williams is our best ever player. Ross Taylor's second. Devin Conway could be up there with those two. That's how good he is. And that's coming from the coach. Incredible stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's incredibly exciting to think that, you know, we've got that. Because that's your rock. I mean, you got, you mentioned it about our batting, Raj, and, and how we've gone about things. And that's that's the core of how you're going to respond. If you've got three, four, five that are, that you can rely on and that can build your innings around and you've got players that can that one of them is going to put on an, an 80-plus, 100-plus that can go and set up your whole innings, that's going to be the key to, to how you're going about things for, you know, for the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, With Kane Williamson, for me, I almost don't want to talk about his batting because his batting is, is that good that we don't need to, to talk about it or question it because he's just that good. When I thought about his summer, I thought about it from a leadership perspective. Mm. Uh, there were murmurings. We, t- we talked about it earlier in the season that people were saying maybe he shouldn't be captain across all three formats. Uh, there's you know Tom Latham coming through, Tim, Thou- Tim Southey. But I think that he, he really is the personification of how New Zealand want to play cricket. Uh, and I think that he's done a great job leading them this summer. It's also been great to see Southie and Latham, the guys I just talked about, really step up when they needed to with that white ball, white ball series that they played and won. Mm. I did find it interesting that uh, Southie was bowling at the Bangladeshi tail quite a bit. But um, <laughs> no, I, I think they did it. I think all three of those guys have done a really good job from a leadership perspective. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree with you. I think the, the comment I'd make, and this is not in any way, shape or form a criticism of Tim Savey or Tom Latham, when you see them at the toss, when you see them marshalling the field, you, you look and just go, you, you, you're standing, um, you know, Kane isn't playing. When you look at India, for example, when, you know, Rohit Sharma's captain the odd game, you kind of look at him and go, yeah, you could be the white ball leader for, for India. When you see, um, you know, to an extent, you know, England, Joss Butler, as good a leader as Owen Morgan is when Joss Butler stood in for him in these last couple of one day, as you were like, you can see that happening. At the moment, you can't see Kane not being in your best 11 in those three formats from a leadership perspective. And as you've said, Raj, his bat is just, it, it runs, you know, um, yeah, it runs pretty hot. I mean, do we... we We've got a few minutes in now. We probably can talk about Devin Conway. I mean, I'll run through his stats. He will put five minutes on the clock. <laughs> he was second on on that list of uh, of run scorers for for the summer. Average sixty three with one hundred five fifties, a strike rate of one hundred and twenty two across only the two white ball formats. He's got to play in the World Test Championship final, doesn't he? Well, the, the sticking point here is the visa. Um, so look, um, I, I guess. 
Look, let's put put it in perspective. There's going to need to be some strings pulled because the waiting list for those residency visas is immense at the moment. And we've already seen it uh, impact New Zealand's summer of cricket with uh, for Otago. Dean Foxcroft couldn't get uh, a residency visa to come back in here and play for Otago, so he had to stay in South Africa after he'd kind of gone home for the summer. So, yeah. I agree. They're, they're going to have to do something to, to fast track it, but it feels like they're, they're going to have to, aren't they? He's going to, if he's going to be over there representing New Zealand in what potentially you could view as you know our biggest one of our biggest sporting fixtures of the year. Look, I'm sure there'll be a lot of pressure from a press perspective um, put on um, yeah put put on New Zealand immigration to yeah to to make his paperwork find its way to the top of the pile. But hey, it's not a foregone conclusion, is it? Until he's got the got the letter. I'm just wondering what tax bracket he'll fall into because, you know, they're making so many reforms with our tax at the moment. My question about Devin Conway is what does he mean to this team? And and I asked that question thinking I don't think it's too quick or jumping the gun to be saying we need to start building our teams around Kane Williamson and, and, and Devin Conway. I think that those are the guys that you pick and you fill the team around them. I think that Devin Conway is 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 in that sort of space. I think this summer for Devin Conway is going to be a catalyst for change in that test side. New Zealand visa issues notwithstanding, and as I understand, they're still in progress but haven't been finalised as of Thursday. New Zealand are going to need to make a change to their test side to find a place for Devin Conway. And that probably means that Tom Blundell's going to miss out, you would think. Of, of all the guys in that test side at the moment, given the summers that they've had, Nichols made runs, Latham's made runs, Ross has made runs and looks secure, they're not going to move Watling from six and you want to take an all-rounder to England. I feel like Tom Blundell's the guy who has to miss out for Devin Conway to get into that side. But for me, given what we've seen from the white ball st- stuff and his domestic form over the last three years, he has to play. He has to. And I actually think um, yeah, we've talked a lot about selection and stuff since we've been doing this this podcast, and I just think it's an easy conversation. If you if you're Gary Steed, you go up to Tom Blundell and you say, "Look, I'm really sorry, but you've you've done a decent job for us." But done Devin, a fantastic job for New Zealand. You've done really you, good. You've been put in a position where you know we we asked you, "Here's this opening that we've got. Do you want to give it a shot and have a crack at it?" You you've come in, you've done a decent job for us, but you you're you didn't get as many runs uh, in the home summer as you might have liked. Devin Conway's been unbelievable. You, you've batted with him many times uh, for Wellington in across the whole summer. You know how good he is. We have to have him in the side, and, and I don't think that's a, an incredibly difficult conversation. And that's no disrespect to Tom Blundell at all. Absolutely he just has not. to be there. And, and he's going to get his opportunity one day. Um, you would think that BJ Watling's going to retire at some point. He's going to get his opportunity. He's, he's actually even moved back down, I think, in his last... Uh, couple of Plunkett Shield games to bat five, I think, for Wellington and, and scored 100 uh, in, in one of the games recently. So, I, I mean, he's absolutely going to be on the plane and, and in that squad, but I don't think it's a, a, a big deal at all to, to do that. So if we've all uh, penciled, oh, sorry, in pen, written down Devin Conway's name in the three formats, in the Red Bull stuff, where does that leave Ross Taylor? I know we've talked about him a little bit. Where does that leave Ross Taylor? I think it leaves him out of the T Twenty side. Uh, we've already seen that, um, and I, th- I mean, if you look at the the one day side, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for him, uh, especially if some, if, especially if Latham's going to bat five and, and do a, a really nice job there. Where do you fit them in? Because Conway, you know, Conway Williamson three three and four, unless and it's it, you're starting to look at where can we fit in Conway, and, and it's the same with the T Twenty side. We talked about him potentially opening. To kind of balance your side a, a bit better, there he might have to do that in the one day format as well. I mean, my issue is with the Red Bull. I mean, if we're going to build this team around Ken Williamson and Devin Conway, they're your three and four, whatever way you want to have them around. That leaves Nichols Taylor to fill number two and number five. I think Devin Conway opens the batting for New Zealand. I, I think temporarily until Ross Taylor retires, and then three and four is Conway and Williamson. While I agree with that statement, and I think that that's something that, that we could do, I think that we should be thinking about Devin Conway now. I know Ross Taylor is someone that has been a great servant of New Zealand cricket. Have we got his stats here? They're, they're not I've great got- over the New Zealand summer. I mean, he, he averaged 24 in, in seven matches for New Zealand. Unfortunate that he's kind of missed out on these couple of ODIs against 
Bangladesh uh, with injury came at, at, a, at a bad time. But in fairness, he didn't have a great time for CD when he played for them uh, across the summer. I don't think you just discard someone like that. Um, and I think you're, you're right, Baldy, that they'll they'll do it in a, a, the best way they can to kind of fit Conway and Taylor in the side. But it, it's not. I don't think it's a ridiculous conversation to be having. And you mentioned that at the start, Binksy, that yeah, when we're starting to talk about someone coming in and, and making such an impact so quickly uh, that you've got to think about them in every single format. I mean, let's put it in perspective. He's he's ranked fourth in the world in the T20 game ahead <laughs> of Virat Kohli. Mm, yeah. uh, it's incredible. Well, sorry, just, 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 a, just one thing, just on Ross Taylor. I know you're talking about his stats. I, I was looking at them today. I think in his last 27 or 28 tests, he's scored 300s. Mm. That, that's, a, that's a pretty not great stat for someone who's in the engine room of New Zealand runs. Yeah. So look, I'm not going to talk about Taylor. I'm just going to say a word of caution on Conway. He's burst onto the scene um, from a white ball perspective. Test cricket is a different gravy. So uh, whether he opens the bat in, whether they try and slot him in at five or six, uh, you know, if you look at successful teams, very often, um, or sorry, very seldom does a guy come in and and bat anywhere other than opening the batting because you know opening the batting is a specialist position in Test match cricket. Normally, you will see that gun player, even if he bats three, four, five for his province, comes in and bats six and learns the ropes and then maybe moves up to three um, or four. It's going to be a mighty ask, no matter how good he is uh, and how good he is on that white ball scene, for him to come in um, to that World Test Championship um, and face the likes of Bumrah and Shami and Ashwin. Well, and there's two and, tests before that, potentially, uh, to against face against Anderson and Broad, you know, in, yeah. in England. You, um, you can't ask him to come and bat out of position. In my, in, From my perspective, I think you're looking at Nichols opening the batting and Ross Taylor moving to five in my ideal top order for New Zealand. I just, I, as you say, opening the batting is a specialist position. Why would you bring someone in who we think could be great? You know, the yes. third, we're in the top three batsmen in New Zealand cricket when by the time he's finished. Although him and Kane are very similar ages yeah, he's at not, the moment. He's not, he's he's not, he's not that not young. Uh, you know, yeah. remember he has had to do five yeah, years he's, to he's kind not, of... He's yeah. not going to give have the longevity of his career. No. But at his peak, he could be as... Peak, peak Taylor, peak Williamson, peak Conway could be... In that echelon, Let's yeah. give him a chance. I, I, I think chance. I think we do have to move on to others, but it, it is it is a good word of caution, Binksy, that you know we, he has played against. He hasn't been tested in those pressure cooker environments at just yet. Yeah. So yeah, Duke's cricket ball, Anderson, Broad, Jofra Archer. If anyone can find a chink in your technique, um, I would say it would be James uh, James Anderson. Let's move on to Carl Jameson. Twenty seven wickets in four tests, an average of twelve. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier on. Didn't go so well in the the white ball stuff. Um, my two cents on that before I throw it over to you is I just think it's it's actually really, really difficult to bowl in limited overs um, cricket in this day and age. And you look at all these guys that go around the franchise circuit, particularly seamers, they have worked a long time on their craft of knowing all of their variations. Jameson hasn't had that opportunity to do that. Obviously, he's got picked up for big money um, in the IPL, so you know, you know, he's going to have to uh, bring home the bacon to a certain extent. But you cannot sniff at his test form. He was, yeah, he looked like taking a wicket, you know, every ball almost. Yeah, look, what uh, what I like so much about his test summer is that he was the the person that came in and took a wicket. Kind of when whenever there was a partnership building or something like that going on, and we were starting to, you know, we didn't get on the back foot too many times, but. It was always in the past. It's always been Neil Wagner, um, and and he still did that to you know not not putting him down at all. He's still definitely Rajas nodding his head. Wagner Wagner was excellent as well in, in his time, but Jameson Jameson being able to do that role was super super encouraging because you know the way he bowls and, and the lengths he's he's possibly even though he does swing the ball a, a great deal at times he's probably going to be better suited for that kind of. Uh, first change, second change, kind of bowler, um, in his you know as going forward. So, I, I what what more can you say about his test summer? It was just absolutely superb. Yeah, I guess I'm looking at this holistically, not necessarily just just this summer. I think he's given us genuine issues when we're thinking about 
who we're picking in our bowling lineup mm. uh, with the, with the four seamers. We've got people saying, "Oh, we're going to go tour India and play with four seamers." Yeah, we've seen we can we can't do that. That can't happen. <laughs> but th- those are the kind of issues that he's been giving us. And depends on the pitches. Yeah, uh, I think overall he gives a, a genuine point of difference that we just we don't have. We don't have someone who is that tall can bowl those good areas and, and just get it get the ball to talk. Uh, if he can find an extra yard of pace, mm. he'll be very, very dangerous. And he will find an extra yard of pace because he's not been around that sort of setup to get the strength and conditioning and all that kind of technical work as well. To go with his um, domestic form in the Plunkett Shield where he, he got a hat-trick as well. Yeah, yeah. You saw how much the ball he could got to move off the deck. Yeah, that uh, in-swing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jacob Well, Warren he didn't have an in-swinger he? 12 months ago. Yeah. He didn't have that in his arsenal. 12 months ago, he couldn't bowl an in-swinger. And he decided, right, I'm going to learn to do that. And now I can swing the ball both <laughs> yeah. ways. And he, he can bat. And he can bat. He has already made number eight minimum for New Zealand, minimum number eight in their test site. I think when it comes to the white ball stuff, I'm willing to not uh, get too hung up on that. The main reason is I just don't think he found his length. Mm. Uh, he was bowling a test match length, and that, that can be a symptom of just shifting from, from format to format to format. Mm. He couldn't find that length. And, and that's the first time he's been asked to do that, really. And he, he was bowling, that was the length that he was bowling successfully in test cricket. But mm. when it comes to a white ball, short format, that's just going to get punished. Let, let's move to a couple of the, the shorter format players who stood out. Ish Sodi uh, was man of the series a, a, against Australia, took 20 wickets at uh, 15 across 11 innings. Really, really strong performances. And, and I think someone, not really that was under threat at the start of the season, but if we're thinking about his sort of future in, in the white ball game, and mm-hmm. Mitchell Santon has been our number one white ball spinner and I, I think still probably deserves to, to be carrying that mantle, but mm-hmm. Ish Sodi just penciled his name in there as these are our two spinners because the, Todd Astor was in some of those squads. Ish Sodi has gone, this is th- this is my spot and nobody's going to really take it off me. Yeah, so as far as, as, far as spin's concerned from New Zealand, ironically given the lack of opportunities for spinners in New Zealand domestically. New Zealand has had a great summer internationally in terms of their spin bowling. Mitchell Santner has been good uh, across all their formats. He was he was good in the one-dayers. Esodi was excellent, as you mentioned. You found um, little options for you in terms of uh, Glenn Phillips being able to bowl a couple of overs in white ball cricket, uh, Mark Chapman being able to do the same. So And, and Todd Astle got a forfer yeah, against Bangladesh in, in two overs. Um, so, you know, Gary Stead said, look, he's got some he's got some options there, some availability and being able to do different things looking ahead to those white ball um, World Cups 2022, 2023, 2024, all in India. You know, he's going to have to take three, maybe even four spinners in those extended squads. And now he's got some permutation and options to be able to take with him, not just... Santner and Ish Sodi, who've done well. I, I find it really weird that Ish Sodi isn't in the IPL. Mm. Um, and the same when I look at Adil Rashid. Like, both of them have been fantastic white ball spinners for their countries. I mean, I, I know India obviously produces batters and spinners, mm. um, and the money's gone on pace bowlers uh, and, you know, top order players from an international perspective. But yeah, really strange that well, someone he, like that can't, you know, can't get a, can't get a gig. Well, even Sentner, I think when we talked about CSK, we thought that he's probably going to be, you know, sixth or seventh down in, on their list of, of overseas players. And and yeah, these guys have just been performing. And, and you look at the T Twenty rankings. You mentioned Conway up at fourth. I mean, our, our New Zealand spinners are, are generally, I don't know where they are at the moment, but they're generally pretty high in that those rankings. And yeah, they just can't get a go, can't get a go. A bit of yin and yang when you mention. Uh Santner and, and Sodi, you know, we've got one who holds up an end and one who's who's attacking, goes mm. for a little bit more. I think his his white ball performances have been really, really encouraging. Uh, his numbers are getting better every day. If you if you look at unfortunately he started very poorly in terms of his numbers, that's why they're not uh, lower than they are. I think he's averaging in the mid mid forties or low low forties mm. uh, with the white ball. Uh, but uh, they're getting better every day. And the main thing is that the consistency is there from his performances. He's bowling good areas. He's taking wickets. And as you said, got the man of the series against Australia, which is a good performance. Who else do we want to touch on over this New Zealand summer? We've had players like Daryl Mitchell, who've just come in and, and taken their opportunity. There's You've got the, the workhorse like Southie, who's just kept delivering over and over again. Martin Guptill, who's 
I, maybe Gupta, can we just have a quick chat about Gupta? Because there's been a lot of Martin Guptilla's back chat. And uh, while I think that is somewhat warranted, I think it is still worth pointing out that he's only scored 250s from his 16 innings this summer at, at an average of 30. And while they are match-winning innings, it, how, how comfortable do we feel like are, are we? Do we think he's back? Is he someone that's you know now in our plans for for these next tournaments coming up? I think it, um, for me, it's all about the the big mo that um, Raj talks about that uh, momentum piece. So he's, he scored his runs at the right time, hasn't he? Um, and, and looked good um, against Bangladesh. Um, I think you know you guys have said struggles a little bit against top quality spin, um, which when you look at um, the three tournaments that are coming up from a white ball perspective all in India, the, both the T20 World Cups and the 50-over World Cup, if he can make it through to 2023. Mm. He monstered those Bangladesh spinners, though, yeah. when, when he got the opportunity. He, he to me, for me, he kind of started to put that to rest a little bit. I know the Bangladesh spinners aren't as dangerous as some of the top-class, top international spinners like Rashid Khan and, yeah. and those kind of guys, but, but you know, you can only play who's in front of you, and, and he, had a good, he had a good summer against spin, in my view. We, we asked the question earlier in, in the season, whether he should be selected. There was a lot of chatter saying he shouldn't be selected. And we said that he it's his jersey to lose. He's got to go out there and, and someone's got to take it off him. Uh, that hasn't happened. I think he's played well. Uh, in the pantry that is New Zealand white ball cricket, he's definitely paprika. I think it's a, <laughs> it, it's a staple of, of cooking these days. And I think that... Smoked paprika or yeah, just the regular? Just the regular. I, I, th- I think that... He deserves to be there. And the the great thing about Guppy, I know he hasn't put those numbers up. You know, we we're talking about the fifties and and his average. Yeah, look, maybe that's a that that's probably a misleading stat in the sense that average thirty in T twenty cricket certainly as an opener is is probably almost fifty. You know, like it's yeah. it's not that it's it's not thirty in white ball in uh, one day cricket. Yeah, uh, I just I think he's got a genuine upside to him in terms of he can score that. Big Daddy 100 that we were talking about. Uh, he has that ability to, to score those runs quickly and, and big. So he's got upside. That's why I think that, that he's had a great summer and he's he's proved a lot of doubters wrong. I, I think to, to, to answer your question, Lippy, who else do you want to talk about? There's a number of people on this list and um, Raj is going to jump in a sec, but the, the, the thing I would say is pretty much everyone who's come in this summer has in some way, shape or form taken their opportunity and that's the really good thing for your cricket is that we are talking about so many cabs that have come off the rank um, and, and actually put in a big fare. Um, and that, you know, that's the thing that's leading us to talk about 20 odd, uh, 20 odd people here and nearly 30 players playing through over the course of the summer. Yeah, look, I mean, you touched on the, the number of players that have played for New Zealand and, and, you know, we think about some of those one hit wonders. Duffy came in, took four wickets, Astell took four wickets at you know, in two overs, uh, as you mentioned before, Baldy. And, and I know he's not a one-hit wonder, but Lockie only played kind of five games, I think, over, over the summer because of injury. And it, it feels like his impact was very small, but he had such an impact uh, while he was there. And, and that was a really special performance, that five for he took in that, that T20 against the West Indies. It, it made him... He just looked like a completely different proposition than, than everyone else we had on the on the park that day and, and almost on the park this summer from a New Zealand white ball perspective. Uh, and to think that, you know, someone like him and, you know, maybe even in partnership with Adam Milne and, and the kind of, uh, you know, the speed that those two can develop and, and bring to our attack. Yeah, the, the, the actual depth that we've got in New Zealand is just staggering. Uh, so, I mean, the one I wanted to pick up on was, was Daryl Mitchell. I think he's had an incredible summer. Uh, he's really embraced that sort of next man up mentality. Uh, when you've got, you know, you look at dynasties around the world, you've got your key players, your Jordans, etc. People move all around them and someone always steps up and, and plays that role. I think he's probably got the rough end of the stick when it comes to that because the numbers he's been putting up is, is that of someone who should have a have a place in the side. He was averaging 100 for the summer. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we also have someone, people like Colin de Gronholm and, and Kyle Jamieson who are probably pushing for that 7-6 sort of position in the in the test side anyway. And I guess my main issue, though, with, with, with Daryl Mitchell, and this is kind of in the face of what I've just said about role-playing, is I'm not sure what his role is when he's selected with the ball. Mm. I know what he does with the bat, and he does it really well, but do they want him to be the bowler as well because 
he didn't get the overs in the 2020 series against Bangladesh that we just saw. I didn't. He didn't get the overs I thought he would. Uh, they preferred to go with the spin. Mm. Uh, that's probably situational more than anything, but I, I'm just not sure about what his role is there. But I think he's had an incredible summer and he, he definitely deserves to be in the mix. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation really because, uh, you know, they're certainly on that fifth bowler front. They've certainly got Nisham seems to be ahead of him uh, in the pecking order as well. Whereas We're know, talking white ball here. Yeah, white ball stuff. And, and Daryl Mitchell... Uh, if you look at the New Zealand Super Smash and stuff, he was he was actually quite a, an important bowler for Canterbury at, at different times. Uh, sorry, Banksy, I just have to talk about Canterbury uh, whenever I can. But Sorry, I just dozed off. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, and even comparing him to someone like Colin de Gronholm, who they do rely on with the ball, uh, actually not as much in the, the white ball stuff, but particularly in the tests, whereas he's someone that, you know, has even opened the bowling for New Zealand in, in Test cricket when we've gone to to places like uh, India or Pakistan or the UAE or somewhere like that. So yeah, his role going forward and, and what they do with that opening uh, that all rounder spot is is going to be fascinating, and that probably leads to the the fact that it might even be uh, out before we release this podcast. But on Thursday, New Zealand time, they're going to release the, the 20 man squad to, to go to England and, and continue on to the, the world test championship for, for those three tests, I guess. And I think it's going to be, I'm really fascinated. We've talked about all the guys who are, are pretty much there. You know, we know all of those people. Obviously we're all hoping to see Devin Conway in there. We've got, we expect to see Will Young. We expect to see some of the bowlers who have been, around the fringes, but I, I'm really interested to see kind of 16 to 20 on that list uh, because that'll give us a good idea of where they are, you know, those next cabs off the rank, the next man up in our test standings and, and who mm. those people are. I yeah. mean, yeah, anyone I think, we're desperate to see on I that mean, list? 16 names write themselves down, right? Latham, Nichols, Kane, Ross, Devin Conway, Visa Pending, Will Young, BJ Watling, Tom Blundell, Daryl Mitchell and Kyle Jamison, Wagner, Southie, Bolt, Ferguson, Matt Henry, and then probably Ish and Mitchell Santner. Any anyone who disagree? That's seventeen names. Any that you wouldn't I don't know have that, that they'll list? take Ish. I think Ajaz will be there ahead of Ish. I'm almost certain of that. Um, in terms of the the uh, test match stuff, um, I'd be very surprised if Ajaz if Ish jumps ahead of Ajaz on that. One name. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you about any of those other people. I think they'll all they'll all be there. So you know, maybe it is only actually just th- three leaves is three three spots. I, I think they'll take Ratchan Ravindra. I I really think that they. I think he's someone that, particularly in this environment where you've got a twenty man squad, he's going to be what fourth fourth maybe backup, fifth fourth fifth backup batsman. Yep. This is your opportunity. You bring him there. He's done. He hasn't had the greatest of summers for for Wellington at various times. I think he started quite roughly. He just scored a big hundred. He did score a big hundred. He came that was coming back from an injury, so he had a bit of a disrupted uh, season for them. But scored uh, runs for New Zealand A. He's someone that I think that New Zealand should invest in and you know get behind. And, and I think they are. They've been putting him in New Zealand A squads. Rudd's is just about fallen over. We're obviously just about come to the end of the pod, but he's someone I, I really want to see there, and I think that there is a chance that he will be there. That would get me very excited. I think that he is the future of that, that opening position for New Zealand. Uh, that would be... I didn't even think about him. So uh, that's so it's seven bats with Ravindra. Blundell is the eighth bat. If he's backup cover for BJ Watling, do they take another wicketkeeper? No, no. Those, Conway, you've got yeah, Conway, those, those, Conway those two will be your keepers. I think we're looking at bowlers there Okay, um, for those last couple of spots. So we've, got, and, we've now got two spots to fill with bowlers. Yeah, and look, I, I can't name them off off the top of my head, but there are a lot of there are a lot of contenders uh, in in the mix, and and it's probably all those people that have that have been in around the mix. Milne, Duffy, uh, Bennett, they've all played for New Zealand so far this year. Yeah, summer. I think Duffy's probably the one that would be uh, higher in those rankings for for a Test squad. I don't think Bennett or Milne will be considered for for the Test stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean whether they take another spinner and, and kind of have three spinners, so maybe Ish does kind of get himself on the plane there. But, yeah, I mean, Ish hasn't really even been in the, the squads for New Zealand A squads as mm. a as a red ball spinner. So I, I don't think... Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's there. But, you know, mm. by the time we release this, this is, you know, people will have already, <laughs> already know seen who the is. squads. But yeah. that, that's still actually... But it's fascinating, right? Yeah, I, I think those last two spots are, are going to be really interesting in, in who they pick. 
Well, as you say, Lippy, we will find out in our news feeds pretty soon who makes it into that 20-man test squad to England for two tests against England and then the World Test Championship against India at the Rose Bowl. Talking of India, check out the Indian Premier League preview shows in your feed and obviously tournaments starting this weekend as well. So um, pretty exciting to have that cricket on the TV. But that just about wraps up this episode of the podcast. As usual, plenty more cricket to come. We've got news, views and interviews from all around the world hitting your feed. We never take a break on the Top Order uh, podcast, so we'll be in your feed on a weekly basis uh, until you hit unsubscribe. But please don't do that. Uh, (laughs) If you do want to find out where you can listen to us or recommend us to a friend or family member, please feel free to do so. www.thetoporderpodcast.com and you can stick in the referral code top order follower. Um, but that's it from us. Uh, for You can't, but that's why it's sounding good. Um, but guys, um, thanks very much for tuning in to our musings yet again. Um, good night and God bless. See you soon. <laughs>